Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors. But as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. We'd like to describe this show as maybe eclectic or, for some, maybe it's a stretch. But we have some interesting stories coming up, a variety of stories from Lisa Marie Presley to discrimination within the Veterans Administration to a look at aliens, a military conspiracy at Denver International Airport, and even in Chicago, We'll have all of that straight ahead, and we wrap up the program with a public service announcement or message on the dangers of fentanyl. Don't roll your eyes when you hear it, because the danger is real. You'll hear from not only a mother who lost her daughter, but you'll also hear from the special agent in charge of the Rocky Mountain Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration. Couldn't do programs like this without our presenting sponsor, now focused Almost exclusively for those Camp Lejeune era veterans looking at those toxins and your clock is ticking, as we talked about last week. Get with attorney John Boson if this impacts you or if you're just not being treated right. If you're not being treated fairly, they fight on behalf of veterans every single day. 303-999-9999 or BosonLaw.com. That's B-O-E-S-E-N, BosonLaw.com. We begin with the latest in the, yes, still underway war in Ukraine. The battles raging in Ukraine's east have laid waste to the city of Solodar. Ukraine's military said the city hasn't fallen to Russians, but said they've killed more than 100 Russian troops. But even after months of ferocious fighting, Ukraine's 800-mile-long front lines have been mostly frozen, literally and figuratively. This war is waiting for a game-changer, and top Ukrainian officials are warning Russia is planning one, a new offensive that could be just weeks away. The current masters of Russia will throw everything they have left and everyone they can muster to try to turn the tide of the war. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky warned last week. Some officials even believe Russia could make another move on the capital, Kiev, from neighboring Belarus. Over here. Russian and Belarusian troops were seen training just across Ukraine's northern border as recently as two weeks ago. 
Anton has been tracking Russian moves across the border for months. We see Russians regularly making fortifications, he told me, and in my opinion, they may be expecting an offensive from us. Russian President Vladimir Putin even visited Belarus two weeks ago, his only trip abroad since the start of the war, and glad-handed with Belarus's president, one of Putin's only remaining allies. On the first day of the war in February, Ukraine destroyed this bridge over the border, forcing Russian troops to take the long way to the capital. And since Russia's first failed attack on Kyiv, Ukraine has been preparing for a second. So this is an anticipation of another offensive. Russian forces were in this area of responsibility, he said, and now we're preparing for the potential scenarios that may come. So this trench is unused. It was built in April after the initial Russian invasion. And you can see it's all fresh timber waiting for a fresh offensive. But the threat could come from anywhere. Back in Kyiv, one of Ukraine's top intelligence officials told me he expects a Russian offensive to target the eastern part of Ukraine. Where and when do you expect this new offensive? We're now focused on the reserves and groupings of troops that Russia is putting in the temporarily occupied territories, he told me. We're talking about the winter-spring period in the three main directions, Donbass, Kharkiv, and Zaporizhia. Whether Russia's new offensive succeeds or fails, Ukrainians believe Putin's other foot is about to drop. Matt Bradley, NBC News. That report filed late last week, in fact, just a couple of days ago on Friday. And then there are the women in Ukraine. Those women who have actually taken up arms and have been fighting the Russian invasion for almost a full year now. So much has been said, of course, as you know, about the men that couldn't leave Ukraine between the ages of, what was it, 18 and, and 70, something like that. Let's hear it for the women. It's unfortunate, though, that they're in this position to begin with. They are new faces on the front lines of the war in Ukraine, female snipers. And while duty didn't call for them, they still loaded up and lined up. Arnez de Lucatera sat down with one of them to discuss her passion for the battlefield and beyond. By now, she's gained a few nicknames. Punisher of Russians and Ukrainian Joan of Arc. I like Jean of Arc. Yeah. <laughs> History Jean of Arc. Yeah. And um, a lot of people said that uh, she was a ginger like me. Okay. Eugenia Emerald has become somewhat of an icon in Ukraine, fighting on the front lines as a sniper, the only woman in her unit. How did they react when they saw that you were joining, that you were a woman? Oh, they were shocked. She's only one of more than 50,000 women now enlisted in the Ukrainian army, something that is mandatory for men, but women can also volunteer. All uh, uh, Russians um, um, by, uh, scare us. <laughs> they're, scared, they're afraid of you. <laughs> afraid yeah. of me. Yeah. 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 Afraid of us, yeah. women, Ukrainian women, it's important. In her case, it was her father who first taught her how to use a weapon. Yeah, when I was a little girl, I wished to be a sniper, not like a princess. <laughs> wow. So even as a little girl, you wanted to be a sniper? Yes, it was my dream. Wow. <laughs> I think uh, if my father now will uh, alive, yes. Uh, we fight together in the front line, yes. She then enrolled in a military program, and when war broke out in February, it was the army that called her up. Emerald then making the difficult choice to leave her family behind, including her 11-year-old daughter. They just crying. They're just crying, (laughs) yeah. 
She says she just had to go. She's been everywhere now, from Kharkiv and Jatomir to Bucha in the battle for Kiev. But she says being a woman on the front has its fair share of challenges, not only battling the common enemy, but also internal gender discrimination. One man she came into contact with, initially saying her place was in the kitchen. And then when they saw how good of a shooter you were, they must have been shocked and, and they must have eventually respected you. Uh, it uh, was later. It was later. <laughs> I respect me later, yes. Women on the Front is a recent phenomenon in Ukraine. While up to one-fifth of Ukraine's armed forces are now women, it wasn't until 2018 that Ukrainian women were finally allowed to serve in combat positions. I really love American weapons. Yeah? <laughs> Emerald, on leave in Kiev, shows us her gear. There is my toy. And what else? Oh, you know, I have... She used her own car to drive out to the front and alongside her helmet... Your wedding dress! Oh, my God! You still have your... Wow! The wedding dress she's yet to put away because in the middle of it all, Emerald's also found love. Her future husband reading about her and reaching out by sliding into her DMs on Instagram. He writes that... Uh, I'm proud of you. You're a very fantastic um, military woman. Our military is the same. And uh, we started speak uh, with, uh, with each other. Uh, and it was very um, romantic. <laughs> she eventually took the train to meet him in person, but already knew he was the one. You know, when he first uh, time texted me, uh, I called my mother and said, Mother, you know, I think I met my future husband. Two weeks later, he proposed to eventually marrying on the battlefield near Kharkiv. It's my mother. That's her mom. <laughs> okay. very... Amid all the death and destruction of war, Emerald now carrying new life. Face uh, my husband when he knows that uh, he will have a daughter. I <laughs> uh, you know my first daughter, she is like a princess, really. But I think uh, that my um, second uh, daughter, yes, she will be like me. <laughs> She will be like you. Yeah. Okay. And uh, if uh, she um, won't, I will teach her uh, shoot. How to shoot. <laughs> How to shoot. She says as hard as it would be to leave her two daughters now, she'd like to go back to the front eventually. Ukrainian uh, women are very strong, uh, really, and uh, uh, all of us uh, love uh, our uh, land. It is precisely because of her daughters and because of their future that she risks it all. It's the reason why I go to the war. We'll continue as we come up on the one-year anniversary, the one-year mark of the Russian invasion in Ukraine. We'll continue to keep you apprised here on the program. We'll take our first time out this Sunday, and when we come back, a little bit of fun on this maybe-it's-a-stretch type American veteran show. We'll talk about, well, is there a military-slash-government-slash-whatever conspiracy as to what's going on at Denver International Airport? You've heard the stuff for years. We'll kind of take a tongue-in-cheek look at that coming up next. We're off and running. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stefan Tubbs. We continue this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Maybe we could call this a bit of a stretch, American Veteran Show. We also do this... Obviously, we focus on such important, serious issues. That is the premise of why we do it and are coming up on the start of Season 7 next month. But we also like to have a little fun. You know, is it a vast military conspiracy? What is actually the real truth and nothing but the truth? 
at Denver International Airport. We'll have some fun with this segment. So right now we're under the terminal. This is where folks, uh, once they get out of the plane, they get off the train, then they get to the baggage carousels. That's what's above us right now. It'd be really hard to have passengers just hanging out down here. That these tunnels, in fact, go well beyond just the airport's campus, and they go all the way down to Colorado Springs. Yeah, to NORAD, I heard. <laughs> no, um, that would be really um, interesting, but I will prove you. Okay. All right. And the tunnels that we just went through, there's a lot of conspiracies of some very strange creatures that live down there. I've heard lizard people and aliens and, and Illuminati. It sounds very crowded. <laughs> it does. How would they all fit with all the maintenance crews? I don't know. But yeah, so that is a running rumor that there's lizard people, just like you said, aliens, the Illuminati, that we're actually the Illuminati headquarters. Um, I personally haven't seen it. So I hate to debunk that conspiracy, but you know, I encourage anyone who does believe in it, keep on believing. Who knows? Maybe one day we will see a lizard person. So tell me about the talking gargoyle here. He's a very interesting critter. You're talking about Greg the gargoyle. He's our talking gargoyle. He flew in here, who knows how he got here, um, last year. And so we had a bit of fun with passengers. He's found his permanent home. He loves it here. He, that's what he says. He's a lot of fun. Um, he might say something wacky or crazy, but we love it. He hey, will... hey, Frank. Frank, is that you? Oh, I'm sorry. I mistook you for another gargoyle. The old tale says gargoyles are here to protect us. So he's here it's to so protect true. your luggage. Hey, I'm talking to you. Can I borrow some pants? Lucifer out front at DIA. He has he has a lot of history behind him. People are very interested in him. Yes, Blue Mustang is his name. We'll find, we understand people want to call him Lucifer, but we love him. To us, he's a symbol of a gateway into the West. Um, just this wild Mustang rearing up. Um, and so the artist, Jimenez, did create him and did pass away due to a piece of the sculpture falling on him. Um, but his kids finished it up, so it really ends up to be a, a nice story. Um, and those red glaring eyes that everyone talks about, they're actually, it's really sweet too, because his dad, the artist's dad, owned a neon shop. So it's a tribute to him. And one thing I know this pops up on social, uh, social media pretty often is that Lucifer's gonna be taken down and, and social media, some people are very excited about it, some are really angry about it, they want him here. Um, is Lucifer going anywhere? Never! Lucifer's here to stay, Mustang's here to stay. Whatever you want to call him, he's here to stay, and we should all learn to love him, and that's what makes him a piece of art, you know? You get to decide, do you love it, do you hate it, but either way, he's here. That from Denver 7, Channel 7, here in the Mile High City. We continue with a little tongue-in-cheek look. Is it a vast military conspiracy? Are there tunnels running from NORAD north to DIA, DIA south to NORAD? Well, United Airlines decided to have some fun with it. you're about to see has been hidden from public view until now this archival footage exposes some of the weirdest and most frightening theories about denver international airport from demonic horses to aliens feast your eyes if you dare Since opening in 1995, some people have come up with wild, emphasis on wild, conspiracy theories about the airport that are unheard of and unfounded. Exactly. Have you heard about the horse? Ugh. 
Everyone coming into the airport has to pass by this. A demonic blue horse with glowing, fiery eyes. Is it a curse? Who knows? Actually, it's a Mustang. And it's meant to represent Denver as a gateway to the American West. Have a look at this. This artwork is located on the concourse train station. So tell me that it doesn't look like post-apocalyptic ruins. Where are people getting these ideas? The internet. Denver International Airport's public art program dedicates 1% of every construction project budget that goes directly to art, which leads to some really interesting art. There are over 40 installations that people really seem to enjoy. But there are so many other signs that fuel these conspiracy theories. Like, take a look at this. New World Airport Commission? Who are they? I've heard that that's a moniker for the Illuminati. The New World Airport Commission is a completely made-up name. When we opened in 1995, we were a new type of global airport, but that group never existed. All right, so what about this one? AUAG. AUAG. Australian Antigen. The rumored poison of choice for the Illuminati. No, no, no. We're in Colorado. Look around. Colorado's a mining state. That's a mining cart. AU is the atomic symbol for gold, and AG is for silver. But what about the tunnels? You want to go see the tunnels? Let's go see the tunnels. See? These tunnels underneath the airport are used to hold secret meetings for aliens and lizard people. Wait, is that a baggage cart? Yes, that's a baggage cart. It's not so fancy down here, is it? There are more than a thousand people who work down here in the tunnels. So what are you saying then? That all of this weird phenomena isn't related to some huge conspiracy? Yes, that's exactly what I've been saying this entire time. Huh. So whether you choose to believe or love to debunk, next time you're at Denver International Airport, feel free to explore. Wait, no! Interview's over! Interview's over! As we continue a look, tongue-in-cheek, at the vast conspiracies and aliens, etc., at Denver International Airport, uh, excuse me, specifically underneath the ground at Denver International, apparently Chicago's O'Hare is in the competition for strangest, weirdest, most controversial conspiracy theorist airport. What happened to Terminal Number 4? Does it still exist as a secret terminal for stealth aircraft? Since then, strange events have been reported in the sky above the airport. So there was an incident at the Chicago O'Hare Airport. There were people outside who saw some type of craft, and some say it was a slow-spinning disc. People were reporting this large object. The thing is, you've got a lot of pilots around, so if pilots are seeing things that they cannot explain, then you, you need to pay attention. They said they saw it hover for a few minutes, then it shot off and punched a hole in the sky. A bizarre object spotted over one of the busiest skies in America should have been cause for alarm. But officials of the Federal Aviation Administration insisted no investigation was needed. The multiple experienced air crew who reported it were told that they had merely misidentified normal weather phenomena. Now, this just raises a lot of questions. Was it because that this object could actually have been some sort of top-secret stealth aircraft that the military was working on? Theoretical physicist Michio Kaku wonders if the object in the clip could be part of a cutting-edge military experiment. This thing looks like it's being held up by rope of some sort. 
There is the offbeat possibility that maybe the craft that holds everything up is invisible. U.S. military has invested in actual cloaking technology, which would render an aircraft essentially invisible. Scientists have been experimenting with cloaking technology in which light bends around a unique reflective shield, concealing the object behind it. Scientists have developed a sort of invisibility skin made of gold. Basically, what it does is refracts the light in a way that renders this object invisible to a human observer. The U.S. military could be testing highly dangerous aircraft in areas that are highly populated across the United States. The U.S. government has performed secret military experiments on American towns and cities. Their populations used as unwitting human guinea pigs. In the 1960s, the military covertly released the bacteria Bacillus subtilis into subway stations in Chicago and New York. The passengers were unsuspecting lab rats. The army secretly released this bacteria to test the vulnerability of passengers in the event of a biological attack. Glad you were with us on this Sunday as we get ready to start our season seven premiere next month, but having a little fun. And I don't think there's a military conspiracy. So breathe easy as we go into our next segment. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. And when we come back, prejudice in the military, within the VA, we'll talk about that coming up next. show we continue now with stefan tubbs glad you are with us on this sunday nfl playoffs underway and that can only mean one thing to me spring training is right around the corner glad you were with us and thanks again to our presenting sponsor attorney john boson with boson law b-o-e-s-e-n bosonlaw.com fighting on behalf of veterans every single day their number 303-999-9999 and now as they have been but now we're telling you about it officially with a focus as the deadline, as we talked about last week on the program, a focus on the Camp Lejeune lawsuit filings. You may be eligible if you were connected with Camp Lejeune over a vast amount of decades. But keep in mind, as we talked about last week on the program, there is a countdown clock. That's why you need to get with attorney John Boson, 303-999-9999. And as always, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Coming up in our next segment, as we kind of... Um, do a little bit of an eclectic American veteran show. We're going to talk about the death of Lisa Marie Presley just last Thursday, shocking so many people, just 54 years of age. But being that she's part of my generation, I can't help but think about all the footage and everything that you saw from her birth to her growing up. And of course, that always leads me, just a younger Elvis Presley leads me to when Elvis Presley entered the United States Army, and then, of course, well before my time, maybe you were around when he got out of the United States military. But first, in this segment, we talk about a story that and an issue, sadly, we have talked about before on the American Veteran Show. This from the PBS NewsHour. 
The U.S. government has discriminated against African-American military veterans dating back decades, disproportionately rejecting disability claims from black veterans at a much higher rate than white veterans. That's according to a new lawsuit filed in federal court this past week by Yale Law School's Veterans Legal Services Clinic. The group filed the suit on behalf of Conley Monk Jr., a Vietnam War veteran whose VA benefits were denied for nearly 50 years. He's joining me now, along with Richard Brookshire, who served in the U.S. Army before co-founding the Black Veterans Project. Welcome to you both. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And Mr. Monk, you enlisted in November 1968. You served in Vietnam, but you were wrongfully denied an honorable discharge, which meant that you received no VA benefits. The VA denied your applications for education, housing, and disability benefits, before finally agreeing in December 2020 that you were, in fact, eligible all along. How did the lack of VA benefits affect your life? It really damaged me by this not letting my family receive any form of benefits. I couldn't receive any benefits, and neither could they. So my kids was not entitled to educational benefits, which they should have been entitled to. They could have also got some sort of the stipend while they was going to school. And also the fact that I couldn't even get my job back. I worked for the VA when I left to go in the military. And I came home, I couldn't get my job back. I joined. I did not get drafted, you know. So I wanted to go to fight for my country, to be involved in, in, in the Vietnam War. I felt that uh, I was totally robbed of my rightful dues when I came back from Vietnam. I, uh, I uh, served honorably in Vietnam. You know, I, uh, I was involved in a, a lot of, uh, you know, different combat actions. It was totally, a, 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 you know, disgrace to me and my family and the fact that we was denied uh, benefits that I was rightfully entitled to. Richard Brookshire, you created the Black Veterans Project, which is a nonprofit that researches the inequities that black veterans face. After you struggled to get the resources you needed when you came back from Afghanistan, give us a sense of your story. And, and why do you think these hurdles have persisted across generations? Yeah, I, uh, I served as a combat medic for seven years. Four of those were on active duty, three of them in the New York State National Guard and had a difficult transition, you know, out of the military that I wasn't actually anticipating. I wasn't taken seriously by the VA. So I found myself, unfortunately, on the other side of a suicide attempt. Um, and it just so happens that um, after that attempt, I started to really engage the Black veterans community. Um, but I'd also started to engage, like, what's what are the disparities? Like, I mean, I'm living with them. I'm starting to see them. Um, but, like, getting a better sense of the numbers was kind of like the first instinct for me. So we went to Yale and said, hey, like, you know, we want the most contemporary data to kind of look at are there disparities in disability compensation? Because I, I've heard about disparities of the GI Bill uh, at the turn of World War II. I think Conley is a perfect example of how uh, dishonorable discharges have perpetuated locking many black vets, even to this very day, um, out of access to their benefits. And Mr. Monk, to Richard's point about the sort of generational aspect of this, you come from a family of service members. Your father fought in a segregated unit during World War II. Your siblings were also in the armed forces. 
And you make the point that you and your siblings could have gone to college, potentially, if your father had gotten the benefits that he applied for and was denied back in the 1940s. Yes. And, and you know, it continued, uh, you know, after my father, my daughter, my uh, baby girl, uh, she had to struggle to work and 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 uh, go to school. And she all... A hundred thousand dollars on a student loan at this present date. Um, she's now a principal in, in one of the uh, major high schools. But you know, we we suffered, we sustained an injury, and and we continue to. And I think it snowballed uh, down to like my grandkids. You know, my grandkids, uh, they would have had a better chance of going to school um, if they would have been entitled to. The, the monies that their mother could have got to go to school to help them out. Um, and not only that, the housing benefits. You know, we was uh, dis- denied uh, housing uh, benefits where I could not get a GI a housing loan. Um, my father had to work two full-time jobs in order to, to provide uh, a living situation for us. So, yeah, it, it really damaged my family, me, my family. Well, we reached out to the VA to get a, a statement in response to this lawsuit. And without uh, addressing the merits of the suit, uh, we got this statement that reads, part of which reads this way. Secretary McDonough has made clear that delivering world-class, timely, equitable care and benefits to all veterans is our top priority at VA. Throughout history, there have been unacceptable disparities in both VA benefits decisions and military discharge status due to racism, which have wrongly left black veterans without access to VA care and benefits. We are actively working to right these wrongs, and we will stop at nothing to ensure that all black veterans get the VA services they have earned and deserve. Richard Brookshire, the VA is acknowledging that, yes, there's a problem. I guess the question is, what should be done about it? Fostering equity is great and noble, but it's not redress. I think this administration has been really supportive, but I also think that there's been decades to do something about this. Like we're 75 years out next year uh, um, looking at uh, the fully integrated force that we have now. And it's a, it's a time for a reckoning and it's a time to account for the history and the ills that have been done at the hands of the VA. Mr. Monk, what are you hoping that this lawsuit filed on your behalf achieves? Well, I hope that it uh, open, opens up the door for um, other vets to not be able to be blocked just like I was, where they can go ahead and get their disability uh, benefits without uh, being discriminated against. Reparations and compensation is what I think should occur. Conley Monk Jr. and Richard Brookshire, I thank you both for your time and for your insights. That from the PBS NewsHour. We wrap up the program in our next segment, and among other things, we will discuss the death of Lisa Marie Presley, the only daughter of Elvis. And when I think of Lisa Marie Presley, I think of the old-school Elvis, obviously. I think of his early roots. I think of him joining the United States Army. We'll have that as we wrap up the show. Coming up next, this is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Are you lonesome tonight? Do you miss me tonight? 
We wrap up this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. I realize it's a stretch, but at least in my own mind, when I think of Elvis Presley, I think of, of course, the music first, logically. I also think of Elvis Presley with the the most recent film that has come out and getting Oscar buzz, etc. Well, I think about his early days and Colonel Parker. Then I think about Priscilla Presley. Then I think about Lisa Marie Presley. She, of course, passed away unexpectedly just 54 years old. She suffered cardiac arrest on Thursday and passed later that day, just this past week. We want to take a look, and again, it's it's a stretch here, but when I think of Elvis Presley and I think of Lisa Marie Presley, I think of Priscilla, I also think of all of the video and the clips and the black and white newsreel footage of Elvis entering the military, Elvis getting out of the military. So, granted, we ask for a little grace, give me a stretch here, but Lisa Marie Presley, rest in peace. Lisa Marie Presley, the only child of Elvis, dead at 54. Her mother, Priscilla, confirming the news. It is with a heavy heart that I must share the devastating news that my beautiful daughter, Lisa Marie, has left us. She was rushed to the hospital earlier today after possibly going into cardiac arrest at a Los Angeles home, according to TMZ. She was last seen publicly just days ago with her mother at the Golden Globe Awards. Tonight will be a a wonderful night for Elvis. Yes, I hope so. Lisa Marie Presley was born in Memphis, Tennessee in 1968. Her parents divorced when she was four. She was nine years old when her father died. She was married and divorced four times. Her ex-husbands included Nicolas Cage and Michael Jackson. Back in 1994, the unexpected couple created endless tabloid headlines. The King of Pop married to the daughter of the King. They both starred in Jackson's music video, You Are Not Alone. She went on to release three albums for hit songs like Dirty Laundry receiving critical praise. She also sang an emotional duet with her father 40 years after his death, recording the song Where No One Stands Alone. Presley was the mother to four children, including actress Riley Keough and twin daughters Harper and Finley Lockwood. Tragedy struck the Presley family again in 2020 when Lisa Marie's 27-year-old son, Benjamin Keough, died by suicide. The latest movie about her father, Elvis, won Best Actor at the Golden Globes on Tuesday. Austin Butler in that role thanking the family in his acceptance speech. Thank you for opening your hearts, your, your memories, your home to me. Lisa Marie, Priscilla, I love you forever. ABC's Chris Conley sitting down with Presley last year ahead of the film's release. Lisa Marie saying Butler was the only person ever to accurately depict her father on screen. It's almost as if he channeled him. He, he puts everything he had, his heart, soul, everything he had into researching him reading and watching and learning and he honored him in every way possible her father's rebellious streak something she says she inherited i think it's it's in the bloodline the wild card factor is very much alive and well in this family i think and um alive and well in me um yes to the point where my own children are like mom stop (laughs) stop what are you doing Don't say that. You can't say that. You can't do that. Her mother, Priscilla, saying tonight, 
she was the most passionate, strong, and loving woman I have ever known. Joining me now was Chris Connolly. Chris, you've covered entertainment for a long time. You know that beat better than any reporter I know. You interviewed Lisa Marie this past summer at Graceland. First, just your reaction to her death. I almost can't imagine the words that Lisa Marie Presley is dead. I, I remember her really like from the moment she was born. She's been a part of American life since the day she was born in 1968, almost like uh, American pop royalty, you know, uh, like someone like Caroline Kennedy, almost in terms of the way people felt about her and wished the best for her coming into a life that was enormously challenging as the daughter of the king of rock and roll. And so that this life would end so suddenly uh, after a time when I think she felt some great joy after a period of deep personal tragedy is heartbreaking. I, I loved how you phrased that, this, this daughter of American music royalty. Uh, she, as you said, she lived such a public life with the ups and the downs, the, the suicide death of her son in 2020. Uh, and, and then it seemed that, that the, the Elvis family was enjoying a, 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 a renaissance of sorts with the success of the movie. How did she weather those ups and downs over the years of, of her very public life, you think? Well, I think it was challenging. It would have been for anybody in her position, and I think it was challenging for her. Uh, I spoke to Linda Thompson once for Nightline, who was affiliated closely with Elvis for a number of years, and she recalled receiving a phone call from nine-year-old Lisa Marie on the day Elvis died, saying, my daddy died, my daddy died. And you can imagine what that must have been like for a young a young person. And so I would say that Lisa Marie stayed out of the spotlight a fair amount. We didn't see or hear that much from her. Um, and then we began to hear more about her as her personal life became a, a bigger topic of conversation. She got married and, and had children and she had some high profile relationships, certainly. But in the last couple of years, we talked about her kind of carrying the mantle of Elvis Presley. It was really important to her that this new film, Elvis, respect Elvis's debt that Elvis knew he owed to black music. And in her conversations with Baz Luhrmann, its director, she really insisted on that as a key part of Elvis's legacy, that he was fully aware of the debt that he owed to the black music he'd grown up with, you know, uh, as a child. And so she went into this film with great terror and trepidation and came out of it really joyful and, and happy. And her desire to be protective of him was very compelling. This from someone who has a vivid memory, who had a vivid memory of being with her father when he would perform in Las Vegas, of holding his hand as he would walk along, you know, the edge of the stage and then being given back into the audience to watch him perform. Lisa Marie told us, I know he was my father, but I cheered like any fan. It was just that exciting. Um, and so she was experiencing this kind of renaissance for Elvis. And it makes it all the more heartbreaking that, that she would pass now. That from ABC News talking about Lisa Marie Presley dead at the age of 54. She passed this past Thursday. And as we wrap up, maybe a public service announcement. One of the great relationships that on our regular program we've been able to develop and maintain over the years here on our flagship station, 710 KNUS, is the relationship with the Rocky Mountain Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration. And here on the American Veteran Show, just want to give you this info just to make you think. Because this is not a program where you'd think you'd hear this type of message. We live in unprecedented times, as you and I have spoke about. I, I'm i in my 31st year in law enforcement. I have never seen anything like what we're experiencing now with this current public health crisis, public safety crisis. 
Brian Besser is the special agent in charge of the Rocky Mountain Division of the Drug Enforcement Agency, DEA. 5.8 million potentially lethal poisonings were averted by seizing these pills. Now that is just in the four states that make up the Rocky Mountain Division. Montana, Wyoming, Utah, and Colorado. One of the reasons, again, on a kind of a stretch American veteran show is so many of our members of law enforcement at the federal level, U.S. Marshals, the FBI, the DEA, Border Patrol, they're former military. Brian Besser wants to make sure that you know one pill can kill. I tell parents all the time, get in your child's grill. If you're paying for their cell phone bill, Know what they're surfing. Know their online activity habits. Know their friends. Know their acquaintances. Know what they're doing. Know how they're spending their money. Please don't think that this can't happen to you. Please, please, please. Every type of family in America is being affected. Every age of person is being affected. It's the most dangerous time in America to be a teenager right now. Andrea Thomas lost her 32-year-old daughter, Ashley Romero, about four and a half years ago. She unknowingly took a half a Percocet that was laced with a deadly dose of fentanyl. We just urge you, please talk to your kids, your grandkids. Heck, if you can get away with it, talk with the neighbor kids. We care. And it's it's most certainly a tough conversation you may have to have. Would you rather have that tough conversation or plan your child's funeral? For producer Michael Arpaio. I'm Stephen Tubbs. Thank you so much for listening. We'll have a brand new episode coming up next week. Thanks so much, and remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. And join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. Lots of channels. Nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525.